If you've been on the Auckland waterfront over the last couple of weekends, then you will have noticed a bit of a different look to the grey old Auckland Harbour Bridge. Starting on anniversary weekend, the 59-year-old structure came to life with a colourful choreographed light show known as Vector Lights. Vector CEO Simon McKenzie joins me to tell us all about it. Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks, Vaughan. Now, I'm an Aucklander. Well, ooh, I've lived in Auckland for 20 years. Am I an Aucklander? I've, let's just say I am. So I, I know what Vector is and what Vector does, but uh, a sure. bunch of people around the country won't. So first up, maybe tell us about Vector. Yeah, Vector's a, um, <clears throat> a listed company with their majority owner being Entrust, which represents most of the customers uh, basically on the south side of the harbour. So the origins are that we run all the electricity networks and gas networks across Auckland, as well as a number of other businesses. We do a lot of um, people may be familiar with on gas, for example, when you go to swap your barbecue bottle. Uh, that's one of our businesses. We have a telecommunications business. We have a vegetation management company called Treescape. Uh, we process gas out of the Kapuni gas field. Uh, we run smart meters across the country and also um, solar and battery solutions, not only in New Zealand but the Pacific and in Australia as well. So it's a pretty big deal. Um, I mean, the core business is distributing electricity. Well, you, the, your first core business was distributing electricity around Auckland. Yep. How did you go from that to deciding that you're going to light up the Auckland Harbour Bridge? Well, you know, I, th- I think it all starts from one of a better word, our vision, which is the energy sector globally is changing significantly. It's really now moving from the old model with remote generation and um, people globally now thinking about what the impacts of climate change are and carbon, and that's really led a huge advance in technology, and that advances things such as solar panels and batteries and other technologies such as LED lights and for us, we're really embracing these new technologies and bringing those as solutions to customers, but also enabling us to build much smarter and lower-cost networks. And so for us, uh, the opportunity to light the bridge up u- utilising solar and battery and LED lights was a representation of what the future looks like for, for customers. But equally, because of our ownership being Auckland-owned and majority-owned by Entrust, as I mentioned, it's actually also being able to give back to Auckland. Um, obviously, prior to this, we, we had the Vector Arena and we finished our relationship with that arena and uh, this was a really good fit for us to basically you know, anchor it more in our kind of core business and, and show what the future looks like. So let's talk about the bridge itself, um, you know, and I, and I encourage you to go and have a look on YouTube and uh, see see some of the many videos taken of it so far. But it's it's not just, you know, a couple of spotlights um, up a girder. Yeah. It's it's really turning the whole thing into a, um, you know, a technicolour experience. What's what's the engineering and, and the, the hardware that, and the software that goes into making something like that happen? Well, um, you know, it's largest installation globally on a bridge um it's some of some of the listeners may have actually been or seen the uh, vivid experience over in the strait of Sydney harbour bridge so it's much bigger than that well they, co- they copied us five years before we did it yeah well you know it's it's like you know it's, it's just the pavlova isn't it same it over is. same all over again but um but you know that's um so we've got over ninety thousand led lights um that are all connected to all the structural elements of the bridge, so all the girders and beams. And so, so tell us a bit. So I've, I've seen the end result. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been on the water or on the harbour and, and seen the thing lit up. And I, I know how these lights, you know, turn the bridge into a rainbow. Um, 
yet I've driven across the bridge and I've, I can't see a damn thing. How, how, how big, you know, of the installation, how big is one of these LED lights that, that goes to make up this, this, uh, this show? I'd say just probably just trying to think of something that would be of the size that would probably be around about a um, oh, size of a golf ball. Okay, so yep. there's 90,000 90, electric golf balls festooned. Over all those, all the structural parts of the bridge, all the kind of angled beams and everything, and then the power that supplies that comes from uh, 248 solar panels, which, put that in context, are enough to power 11 homes for a year. So let's and talk through the whole, the whole system here. So we've got, we've got a, a whole bunch of um, you know, 90,000 golf balls on the, on the... They must weigh a bit. So the, the, oh, these not. things would have gone through everyone's mind, right? You know, the the, the added load and yeah, the... yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there was a lot of calculations about the spacing of them, whether there's going to be any impact on drivers, what the positioning of them can be, and obviously it's not just the the um, the lights themselves, but all the cabling that goes with them. So all, all those calculations were done, and then obviously all the other elements that have to to go into the mix about how do they stand up to the environment? Are there any kind of issues with wind loading or anything like that? So. You know, that's the that's the light elements, and then we've got the solar panels, which cover a significant part of the the roof structures in the north wharf. Yes, I've seen those. Yeah. So this is yeah. this is the bunch of um, restaurants and things in front of in front of ASB yeah. down there by the water. So the solar right. pa- solar panels on the roof. Certainly. Now, now I'm 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 uh, I did science at school, and I, I know that solar panels require the sun to work. Yet. The bridge works best at night, so there's a, there's a third. There's, there's a, a trickier. There's a, trick here, the a trickier one. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, no. The, the third leg is absolutely uh, large storage battery, which the battery has enough um, capacity to store energy for 400 homes for about an hour, and so basically the solar panels base discharge the energy into the battery through the day. It's stored. And then that energy is released from those batteries into lighting the bridge in the in the night. And you know that's a technology that's being utilised around the world, whether it's in residential homes or installations such as this. So I suppose it's it's a bit of a you know technologically it's a bit of a sweet spot because you couldn't have done this before LED lights came along because you know normal old incandescent bulbs or sodium whatever whatever just would have used too much power. And 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 you know someone replacing them would have been pretty busy too. So yeah, because you know. Well, yeah. You know yeah. Uh, unlike the one on the tail of my aeroplane, which is meant to last five years, we were discussing before, um, the, these ones will last for a very long time. Yep. Now, the the lights, 90,000 of them, are not all the same colour at the same time. It's not like the, the strip of stuff you buy at JK Electronics that yep. you know, turns your, your 323 into a even crappier-looking 323. Yep. Each single light is somehow controlled. That's right. So there's a, basically a software... Uh, program that each individual light can be controlled so that the color of that individual light can be changed so as you mentioned you know you can have a different color in the basically the rainbow spectrum to to create the shows and the effects from the lights can also change so it's not like on or off but they can pulse or they can glow brighter or they can go dimmer so that then enables the software layer enables a show to be created with that structure of lights and, um, you know, program to basically demonstrate different features of, of the bridge and um, representations of events such as we had over the weekend with Waitangi. 
So 90,000 lights, a bunch of batteries and some solar panels. How long did that take from, you know, from the moment the, I don't know, the first rivet was, was hammered in or the first um, screw was, was drilled? How long did that take from, from starting work to actually switching the thing on? Uh, all up, it was around four to five months. Okay. Um, and, you know, that was obviously one of the challenges was conditional about what the weather conditions were so the guys could work safely. But a lot of them had to abseil down to, you know, attach all the structure, structural elements to the bridge. And obviously in parallel with that, just the installation of all the solar panels and then the installation of the battery as well. So safety is obviously a consideration, and, and not just for the people installing it, but I guess for people, you know, driving across the bridge, you don't want to dazzle them. No, what, absolutely. What, what, what were, I mean, were there any fish hooks in the project? What were the what were the, the hardest things to overcome? Oh, look, I think actually probably the hardest thing to overcome, we've put in a lot of solar systems, we've put in batteries, large-scale batteries as well. I think the, probably the most challenging thing was actually the installation of the lights on the bridge and making sure that was coordinated with safety for the guys first and foremost to put them on, then, you know, how they how they abseiled down and when it got to elements which were, you know, not below the bridge but in the spans above the bridge, you know, obviously managing the, the traffic flows so it didn't disrupt the traffic flows. So... Just, just that was probably the most challenging. Talking to Simon McKenzie from Vector, and we'll be back right after the break. Welcome back to Sunday Social. I'm Vaughan Davis, and joining me from Vector, the CEO, Simon McKenzie. Simon, welcome back. Thanks, Vaughan. So two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Auckland Anniversary Weekend, um, you had a bunch of dignitaries, a bunch of school kids, a uh, bunch of the general public. You had the Prime Minister all down there on a beach on the North Shore waiting for that light to uh, that that switch to be thrown the lights to the lights to come on what was going through your head well obviously uh you know uh, just put bluntly hope the bloody thing works you know <laughs> but, um but I had good confidence with the team and um you know obviously you can never foresee some things going wrong but um yeah it was really around first and foremost that hope it all starts up and and, and the show goes well and then you know probably more than anything also that hope that uh, there's been a great crowd across Auckland basically observe the show and have a, have a really, you know, first look at how, how fantastic it is to transform the bridge into something spectacular. I was, I was just, as, as you were saying that, I was, I was thinking about all the uh, the crusty old, you know, engineers out there who, who probably thought the bridge was pretty spectacular to start with. Um, <laughs> yeah. any, any pushback from the from the people who think that, a, you know, a grey-painted steel bridge is, is beautiful just like it is? Yeah, yeah, look, you know, I think we've got to move out of, you know, the beige kind of mentality and, and represent something. You know, New Zealand, you know, we can put ourselves on, on the world stage. I think, you know, people used to talk about whether or not the Sky Tower should be there and, you know, I think these things become very iconic very quickly and, you know, it's a great thing. I mean, we've had massive um, feedback from global sources around what, what a fantastic um, uh, installation it is and, you know, I think it's something that people can be proud of and all can be proud of and it just shows that we are a vibrant city and, you know, it can be used to celebrate a whole lot of different events. One of the things that uh, I guess surprised me as I learned more about the project is, you know, I, I expected it to be, you know, brightly coloured lights and patterns, you know, twenty four seven. But that's not the way you've done it. It's it's more of a event based thing, right? Yeah, two parts to that is um, <coughs> from from an event perspective, that's when, for one of a better word, to put on a show, and so that lighting show is is largely. 
um, ring fenced around a number of events through the year. And then outside of that, then basically the bridge will get lit in ambient lighting. So it will still show off the whole structure, but instead of a, a show, it'll be, you know, usually lit in a background kind of a dull white or, a, you know, a, a, a light-coloured thing. But even that could be then used for events such as maybe Pink Ribbon Day, for example. It might so just it be structured lit as pink. Well, I've yeah. got to say, you know, w- w- with the Sky Tower, it, uh, I don't know, I reckon it got away on it a bit. You know, every, every other day it was a, a different bright colour and you, right. you just wanted it to be good old, you know, bright white because it looked, it looked yeah. pretty good. You can overdo yeah. these things, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So we have to manage that carefully and, you know, the light shows we also have to manage carefully. So we've, we've got a initial programme and um, well, you know, got, we'll build got, off that. Va- Vaughan Davis's birthday coming up, yeah. Simon McKenzie's birthday coming up. Yep. Um, you've done uh, Auckland Anniversary. Done you've Waitangi. done Waitangi. What's, what's coming up? So we've got coming up um, the Pride Festival um, next weekend. Then we have the Lantern Festival, uh, Matariki, Anzac Day, Diwali and you know that's pretty much what we see at the moment but um, roughly over the year be about 20 light shows and then obviously if there's a special occasion such as your 50th Vaughan then we'll have a you know a one off for it. You only get one 50th unfortunately. I work in media so I'm, 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 I'm permanently I'm, I'm youthful. Permanently, that's yep. permanently youthful that's yep. right. Yep. So no, no, no complaints from the uh, from the the Greybridge fans. I, I did, I did read um, a couple of a couple of bits of pushback, and one, one, one serious, not so serious. Um, a bunch of people were very concerned that this is going to disrupt the migratory patterns of um, seabirds, night migrating seabirds. Ah, right. Well, you know. I- Basically, with our partnership with the council, that, that, that all those environmental and impact kind of issues were looked at very closely. And, um, you know, the, the council folk that look after those types of issues were confident that it wasn't going to be um, part of it. And also there was a bird expert that was part of the consent panel. So the, the installation took four or five months. I'm, guess, I'm guessing, you know, in 2018, 2017, to do something like this, though the consent, the negotiations, the planning probably took a heck of a lot longer than that. Yeah, right? look, it took, a, it took a good 18 months to get where we, you know, before we started installation. But, um, you know, a lot of that is actually going through the whole process of how is the installation going to look, what go going out for tender getting getting the best we could for the uh you know for the show and the and the type of technology and then obviously all the all the issues that we need to go through from a consenting perspective not only as you mentioned birds but also the impact on residents and also the uh consultation with you know the the iwi and the um the residents that you know are in close proximity the the other pushback I saw, and this was probably a little bit misinformed um, early on, was that uh, people were saying, "Oh, why the heck is the Auckland Council spending all this money on lighting up the bridge?" Um, which which isn't quite the case, right? No, no. Look, you know, Victor funded the lights, and uh, Auckland Council is contribution for um, basically running some of the events, but primarily we we basically. Um, it was all our capital that went into basically putting the lights and the the batteries and everything that was the the major cost of all the bridge. Yeah. And and the figure in the media was was ten million dollars, which right. is yeah. yep. so that that's a big chunk of change. Yeah, but, absolutely. But that's that's to cover the the whole ten year period, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So contrasting now, you know, you said you said at, at the start that you come out of sponsoring an arena, and you know you were the CEO for all of that time. What what's what's the the difference for you? 
uh, between sponsoring something like an arena that's already there and sponsoring something like a, a, you know, a light installation that you've created? I think there's two things. I mean, I think, you know, we were the foundation sponsors for the arena, you know, Victor Arena, so we were really pleased to be associated with that to get something, again, iconic up and running in Auckland that brought a huge amount of international acts to Auckland and, um, you know, uh, gave, you know, lots of people from not only Auckland but across the country a lot of great experiences. But our time with that um, came to an end and, you know, it's now um, Spark, which it fits really well with Spark and, and yeah, they'll, they'll continue to do a great job. I think for us, you know, back then, you know, how you could have lit the bridge was not, as like you say, it was probably incandescent light bulbs and not a lot else. And mm. now technology and a enables that. It's <laughs> right. on the far side of the Waitakere's. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, it, it was really um, you know, great timing to be able to then, uh, in kind of conjunction with what we're doing as a wider business, to actually bring uh, a representation of all the choices in, in energy now to customers to life through through lighting the bridge and just showing that this technology is available here and now. Um, but also, I guess, you know, it, it really means that everyone can share in a great experience and um, it's kind of probably much better connected to our core business than, than, say, for example, the arena was. But, you know, we were still really proud to have been involved with the arena getting that up and running as well. So, you know, we think it's... Uh, as an Auckland-based-owned company through interest to be able to get two iconic things going in Auckland is, is really good from giving back to the city. So the next uh, the next big light-up of the Auckland Hub Bridge through Vector Lights is the Pride, Pride. Festival. Yep. So when, when, does that, uh, when does that kick off? That'll be um, next, next Saturday. And how? so we, we didn't even get into this, but it's not just a light show. Most of these light shows have accompanying sound yes. to bring the whole thing to life. Yes. And uh, you, don't, you, know, you don't have a network of speakers um, dotted around the city. No. How, how do people actually you know, get that part of the experience? So people can go onto our Facebook and basically, um, you know, identify where the uh, site is for the, the lights and then from that you can actually... Um, uh, select the, the audio button and mm-hmm. then the audio button will basically play the music that accompanies the light show. Easy as that. Hey, uh, Simon McKenzie from uh, from Vector Talking Vector Lights, thanks so much for joining us on Sunday Social. Thanks a lot, Vaughan. Thanks for having us. Hey, and you can listen back to that whole entire interview as well as uh, any of our 198 feature interviews on Sunday Social at radiolive.co.nz under shows and Sunday Social. And if you're a podcast fan, and I know a lot of you are, you might even be listening to this as a podcast now in the future. Spooky. Uh, You can just go to the iTunes store and search Radio Live Sunday Social and and download to your heart's content. Now, I would point out that um, in my day job, and some of you know this, I I slip it in. I slip it in whenever I can. Uh, I run a little advertising agency called The Goat Farm, and we do do a bit of work with Vector, so I do have a pre-existing relationship with Mr. McKenzie. Hey, uh, after the break... After the break, Kate Owen and the uh, apps, social media and uh, digi stuff of the week. Back soon. Hey, welcome back to Sunday Social and I am Vaughan Davis with you right through to the beginning of the weekend variety wireless at eight. Big warm Sunday. Welcome to Kate Owen back to the show. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, but by crikey, it's uh, it's it's vile. It's, it's vile nice out outside. there. It is not. Much better to be cosy and warm in the studio. 
Well, cosy, well, cosy and warm and air conditioning and yeah. a, a little less humid, a little less humid. Now, I asked you how you got here and you sort of, somewhat, I, I think you must have used an app or something, but somewhat mundanely you said I drove my car. <laughs> um, but you were telling me before about something we've chatted about on the show, but not for quite some time, uh, a different way to navigate your way around town. Tell us about that. It's a lovely little app called Waze, W-A-Z-E. And uh, essentially it works a lot like Google navigation. Tells you where the traffic is, tells you where the policemen are or police ladies um, and tells you where there are incidences on the road um, and hot spots to avoid. Uh, Calculates your route for you and then uh, lets you know where to go. And the other thing, I I played with it ages ago, but I'm I'm kind of stuck, I was going to say stuck in my ways, but I'm I'm stuck out of my ways and my Google Maps. Um, I played with it a while ago and one of the things I noticed is that it doesn't just tell you stuff, it asks you to tell it stuff, Mm. which is reciprocity. Yes. So it collects information about things like petrol prices um, and what the nature of particular incidences are. Um, And so it's, it's... user content as much as it's content that's generated from your location information and the information of all the other ways users who have got the app open at the time. So apart from a, a warm, you know, feeling on the inside that you've, you've, you've done something good for the for all the community of ways users, what's in it for you? You know, saying, hey, there's a traffic jam here or there's a, you know, milk tanker overturned there. What's the upside for you as a user? Well, uh, for example, it can tell you where the traffic jams are and where the best uh, way to avoid them is. So, for example, the other day I was in Mount Eden, which, for those of you who aren't familiar, is is quite central Auckland. It's it's what the media like to call a leafy suburb. (laughs) Yes, um, and so it directed me, rather than the direct route home I would normally take, uh, south, which is in quite the opposite way in which I wanted to go. But it told me that it was 16 minutes quicker, and and by golly, it, it got me home quick. I've I've often wondered I've often wondered if I, if I were maybe maybe I'm just evil if I were a Google engineer or a Waze engineer because Waze is as it turns out now owned by Google although quite autonomous I'd use that enormous power to to, to my own benefit because you know I get, we get quite a lot of um, traffic going up and down the street that I live on. I could change that if I was a Google engineer. I could just make sure that no one was ever directed to go down my street. And and as those, um, you know, nav apps became ubiquitous, my real estate prices would go up. There you go. That's an Auckland conversation. Crikey. Well, I guess when you think about self-driving cars, he who controls the self-driving cars controls the world. So, um, you know, that actually has quite big implications for uh, security, for, um, you know, accident avoidance, um, you know, giving police and ambulance services and fire services a direct route somewhere. You know, it it could actually have quite far-reaching and positive consequences. But, But then the other thing that's going on, especially in our bigger cities, is you've got these big traffic control rooms and they've got computers and people and algorithms and all sorts of things controlling, you know, certainly in Auckland, the motorway on-ramp traffic. Mm-hmm. They're, they're controlling that. They're controlling the, the cycling of the, of, of the traffic lights. So that's one force at work. And then you've got these other forces which are directly, you know, these algorithms from, you know, Google Maps and Waze controlling the traffic. And I, I guess they just don't talk to each other. And they're kind of sometimes at odds because, the, you know, the, the, the traffic control centre wants the greater good and Waze and Google Maps just wants Kate to get home from Mount Eden on time. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Well, who knows uh, where that data goes? So perhaps they do work with local authorities to um, to look at the ways people try and get home. Um, who knows? Who knows what the future of it is as well? 
especially especially as you say when uh, you know more and more of us are going to be not driving our cars we're just going to be mm. you know um or if, if the video depictions of the future to be believe, believed um you know reclining and, and and pointing at invisible screens in front of us and ordering ordering eggs from the supermarket oh dear if eggs exist in the future hey um i have no segue i have no segue to this next topic but uh it interests me a lot i've never sat down and tallied up the number of usernames and passwords I have in my life. But I was reading something which absolutely blew my mind. A study in the States uh, found a, 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 a company called Dashlane, which is a, a password manager company. So maybe it's a bit skewed. So maybe if you're, if you're a customer of one of those, you, you, know, you have a few passwords. They found that on average, their customers had 130 accounts with passwords. It's enormous. It's a lot. It's a lot. And, of course, if the popular, you know, um, received wisdom is to be believed, every single one of those would have a different username and every single one would have, uh, I can feel my nose growing as I say this, <laughs> a different password. It's just not possible, is it? Well, the most popular password in the world is something like password123, isn't it? Yeah. Better go and change yours now that I've said it. I probably there. had better. <laughs> password321. Ha ha. So, you know, it is an issue with a lot of logins um, and, and a lot of passwords to remember. Some people have a system. Some people use uh, two-factor authentication, which um, means that it sends a, a quick little code to your phone so that you have to use that when logging in. Um, but a lot of people just use standard username, standard password. And when something like LinkedIn, as it did a few years ago, gets hacked and all those passwords and email addresses get leaked, uh-oh, Suddenly, they can just so Log a hacker everything. can just take that and go to this site and Is that site. Is it really site hacking when somebody supplies you their yeah, username and password? Well, it, that, that's a that's a whole other discussion. That's a whole mm. other discussion, actually. The number of the number of messages or posts I see on Facebook saying, you know, oh my Facebook account has been hacked, as if you know there's someone in Russia trying to hack into Vaughn Davis's Facebook account. What they really mean is, I was a goober. I did one of those, you know, what tropical fish are you quizzes, mm -hmm. and I handed over. Yes. my username and password. That's what that means. Look, if there's one takeaway uh, for listeners, it would be, you know, if you're only going to do one thing, just keep your bank password separate. Like, make that completely different and completely unique because that way if they get everything else, they ain't getting your bank details. Yeah, I think that's really good advice because, hey, they, you know, they, they can have my, my, my Instagram, they can, they can have my Facebook messenger. Well, they can't. But, uh, yeah, it gets pretty high stakes when you get into uh, banking passwords. Or the other piece of advice I always give is the underpants rule. Do you know the underpants rule for, for passwords? No. Oh no, it's, it's not. It's not icky. It's not icky. I can, no, I can see on Where your face. I can see on your face that you think we're going to icky waters. But um, no, the underpants rule is to treat your passwords like you would your underpants. So, don't share them with other people. So far, so good. Don't leave them lying around where other people can see them. So far, so good. Yeah, okay, I'd agree with that. And change them regularly. <laughs> Which, yes. it's if you can do two out of three of those things, I think you're doing well. Because, you know, who who's really going to change their password regularly? Really? Well, if you work in a big company, they force you to, don't they? Look, Vaughan, Sometimes. I think as long as you change your underpants regularly, we'll all be happy. We, we, we will all be happy. Um... How, we should make a, a bold prediction. How long do you think before um, passwords are no longer mainstream? Because there, there are better ways, right? Uh, I'm a little bit of a tinfoil hat wearer, so I, I will stubbornly hold on to my password. Um, 
But I would say, you know, we're already looking at um, fingerprint access as becoming standard uh, for mobile units. So I don't think we're actually too far off. And, and, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So biometrics, so fingerprints, um, faces, faces, retinas, but, and, yeah. and all sorts of wacky things you'd never think of. I, I was speaking to a bank uh, last year, and they're doing security work around uh, using motion detection to work out who's holding the phone. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Because when you the way you hold your phone and tap in your password and the way I hold my phone and tap in my password is, is very different. So it, they don't use it to identify who you are, but they identify it to flag if they think that, um, you know, the wrong person's got a hold of the phone. Wow. Crazy times, eh? Hey, uh, YouTube, this is interesting. This is interesting. And you, um, you, you raised this story with us. Um, YouTube to start disclosing state-funded content. What's the story and why does it matter? So the story is that, um, you know, social networks, YouTube and Facebook in particular, are trying to do a lot to mitigate the fake news that's out there, but also, um, you know, in some instances where the governments of particular countries have really tried to influence news cycles or uh, make an impact with a particular audience. So what YouTube is doing is uh, introducing transparency rules around uh, state-funded and publicly-funded news channels on YouTube. Um, and that means that it'll be disclosed to you who has actually funded the broadcast. Now, this is interesting, and we don't quite know yet what the impact will be for TVNZ and RNZ, but uh, if this rolls out in New Zealand, certainly we will see some impact around uh, broadcasters here. Which is, it's probably no big deal here, although, you know, maybe cynical um, YouTube users worldwide will lump, you know, state broadcasters, RNZ, TVNZ, in with you know, more malleable broadcasters, mm. shall we say, and and maybe just give it a little, little bit less credit. Yeah, and invariably you see that, you know, spending a little bit of time on uh, One News' Facebook page. Um, it doesn't take long before you see a comment around government-owned news or uh, propaganda. Oh, um, in the comment section. In the comment section. So I think it's actually quite, quite rife. And um, I think transparency around that and what Facebook's doing is disclosing who's purchasing, uh, in particular, political advertising. Um, and also with the work that they're doing around categorising uh, news outlets, whether they're trustworthy or not. Um, you know, there's a lot of work being done in this area around transparency and who's actually funding what news. Well, that, that's interesting because um, the idea of disclosing, you know, who's funding particularly politically related content, I mean, that's always been, um, you know, baked into New Zealand electoral law anyway, especially around campaign time. So, so and there's a reason for that. You know, you want to know whose opinion this is and, 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 and who's paying for it and so on. But the, the deeper issue is, you know, any story, any story you see on um, on the internet, if you're at all sceptical, the first thing you're going to go is, you know, where did this actually come from? Mm. You know, if it comes from the, the tomes of London, mm, maybe that's not quite who I thought it was. Maybe mm. they're not quite so sceptical. Uh, not not quite so not quite so trustworthy. I'm so sceptical, I just say sceptical all the time. Sceptical, sceptical. Yeah. No, I'm not- making a sceptical of myself. <laughs> Real in those dad jokes, Vaughan. No, um, I, I completely agree. I think that, uh, you know, in New Zealand, it's less of an issue, but we need to guard democracy and we need to guard um, journalism and, and what we want that to be as a society. And if these tools can help us do that, then I'm all for it. Guarding democracy on uh, Radio Live on a Sunday mm-hmm. night. After the break, the apps of the week. Back soon. Don't worry. Be happy. 
Don't worry, be happy. Yes, indeed, don't worry, be happy. There's a bazillion apps out there, especially on the jolly old Android Google Play Store, but most of them, most of them, Kate, are rubbish. Yes. Don't you think? I think so. That, You're that's paying a summary. lot for a beautiful camera on your mobile phone. Enjoy the beautiful camera. That's all I'm saying. Let's Enjoy. talk about that. Let's talk about that because um, I happen to, this is not a plug, uh, but I happen, as you well know, Kate, have a beautiful mobile phone, a Huawei, and it's got not one but one, two, three Leica cameras built in. And these are the German dudes who've been making them, you know, since the 19th century. Yet I'm tempted, as uh, many social media users, um, to download apps that make my beautiful photos look like crap. What's that about? What's this horrible new trend, Kate? Save us from it. So the very latest um, apps are knockoffs of your old disposable cameras. So they're really playing up that nostalgia feel by turning disposable your, cameras. Yeah, you remember those from back well when you know dinosaurs walked the earth. And well, we, no, I would get these cameras, and um, we wouldn't know what photos we were taking until we got them back. Uh, three weeks later. Well, I, I, I remember back when I was in, invited to weddings that it was a thing to, to have on the table. to have one on each table at a wedding, yes. and and then the you know the bride or groom would scoop them all up at the end, and you'd get all these little candid photos. So there are apps now that mimic these horrible cardboard cameras. Yes. So they they shrink your screen uh, viewer's size down so that it's as if you're looking through one of those tiny little lenses. Oh, excellent. Yes. And uh, and then when you get the photos back, um, they arrive instantly, thank goodness. So that's well, the one the, point of difference. Oh, that, that, could be, that could be quite a good thing. That could, it could take three weeks. That would actually be brilliant. That would be really cool yeah. and, and, co- and cost you 20 bucks. Yes. Hey, I'm down with that. Let's, uh, let's, let's get that do that. Marked. Let's call it authentic cardboard camera app. Yeah, so it puts lens flare over the top. It prints the, the, the timestamp. Um, it does all those things that you'd expect to see from uh, photos from the 80s and 90s. Which just seems so backwards. Um, what what I, I, I don't like it. No, sir, I don't like it. But what I do like is, is the just names? The, the, names. the names. So the one you came up with was... Hooji. Oh, that sounds a bit like... And it's green... But no copyright infringement intended. We're just nicking your colour and potentially your name, Fuji. Sorry, Fuji film. So, Fuji's one of them. What was the one that you found? Well, the one I liked was a, a, a yellow and red one uh, called Kudak. Kudak. It's a Kudak, Kudak moment. And Huji. It's a Kudak and Fuji. That, that, that actually sort of surfaces something else that I've noticed since you know about a year ago, moving from uh, iPhone to Android, is the Google Play Store, which is the equivalent of the App Store, is just infested with sound-alike, look-alike mm. apps, all designed to capture the unwary. So, if you know, if I have a, an app, I, I don't know, Vaughan's Goat app, someone might um, make an app called Vaughan's Goat's app mm. in the hope that they'll get lots of downloads on the on the, on the coattails of my fame. Yeah. It's, it, you know, there's fewer hoops to jump through to get things into um, the Play Store and, you know, you just see a lot of, gosh, what am I actually looking at here? And so that's one thing I'd love to see, um, you know, the guys tighten up is is how that all works and copyright infringement just quietly which is a little bit rife um and maybe take a leaf out of apple's playbook there 
and mm-hmm. and actually spend a bit more time um, filtering, editing the apps before they uh, before they make it onto the store. Mm-hmm. Um, one app though that I did like um, because at 50 years old I've decided to give up on physical fitness and and diet and healthy living uh, because there's an app for that. And again, you find one app and it turns out to be a whole family mm-hmm. of them you never knew about. Um, this one's called Manly. Did you did you go? Well, I'm, I'm guessing you didn't go to the extent in your research for the show tonight, Kate, of actually downloading and trying Manly. No, that was a hard pass. So, that was a hard. Yeah, that's a hard. That's a hard. That um, that's a hard no from me. Um, so this app uh, is designed to make you look like a real man. You upload your picture, and at the flick of a switch, your your, your flabby middle is turned into. I have to read from the notes here. I think it's called a six pack. Is that a thing? Apparently, it's a I've thing. I've heard that it's a thing. I'm yet to see one in the wild. So. Until that happens, I'll 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 send you a photo. I won't. (laughs) I won't. I want you to come back. I want you to come back. So I won't send you a photograph. But um, on on the one hand, it's it's just trashy and weird and maybe a little bit fun. On the other hand, though, it's just yet another way, another way that you know now digital lives are buying into the whole self self image thing, right? Mm. Because there are no apps out there to make you look normal. Yeah, you know, if you consider what a normal New Zealand guy looks like with his shirt off, there are no apps that you can push a button and look like that. I'm sure that we could find something. Well, maybe it wouldn't There's a lot sell. of apps in that app store that are a little bit, you there, know. There are a lot of apps in that app store. Look, I think the augmented reality side of things, it's going to some interesting places, and some of it is a bit of lighthearted fun, but some of it, um, it, it isn't. And when you see things like um, head replacement um, and, and voice-changing stuff, some of it, again, can be a lot of fun, but some of it could be used for nefarious purposes. Well, you, you begin to question what's real and what's not. Uh, and, and that sort of leads to the, this next story that uh, popped up this week. This is a, a thing called deep fakes. The term deep fakes. I, don't, I mean, I know what both those words mean, but I don't quite know why they've called them deep fakes. This is a trend, a creepy trend, let's be honest, of creating adult video content using someone's body doing the adult stuff and someone else's face doing the famous stuff. Mm. So it's entirely plausible that, uh, you know, you could be listening at home and be on an adult video site, um, look up uh, Vaughan Davis, and there is, there is a video of me doing something that I've never done on camera. Yes, uh, I would hope not. But if that was the case, and in fact is the case with a lot of, in particular, female celebrities. That's um, where it's happening. That's where yeah, it's happening. Of course. It's a, it's a bit of a trend of at the moment. Um, and, you know, it, it is it is a violation for those um, people who have um, been affected that way. Because, you know, if you choose to not do that and, and have, have yourself not out there like that, people need to respect that. And... Um, you know, it's just really unfortunate. And it does tie into things like, you know, brand and, and things that have serious financial consequences. But more than that, you know, this is, as I say, somebody's privacy. It's it's their, uh, you know, something that a lot of people find is very private. So, you know, I'm not for this at all. Well, I, I can't see why anyone would be. But, uh, well, the, the, the one reason you could be for it is if you had in your past made uh, a video that you now regret mm. and it became public... You could just claim that it was a deep fake, a very, very good deep fake. Yeah, I suppose you could. I suppose it's a defence. The the um the thing that's happened, well, the issue that's surfacing overseas is people are struggling to actually find ways in which it's illegal. 
that's the challenge. Well, the thing is, and this is across the board, technology moves at such a pace now that our laws can't keep up. And to push something through in law, it, you know, it actually takes a phenomenal amount of time compared to the amount that technology moves. So by the time we can get a law across the board, a lot of times there are parts to it that are no longer applicable or um, don't have the intended impact. So, you know, this is something that we're going to see more and more of come up as do the laws actually support uh, things like this. Well, do you know, the, the one country, bless us, where I think we've got, uh, we are ahead of the game here is New Zealand because we've got the Harmful Digital yes. Communications Act where this feels, you know, like it's very squarely in the middle there. You know, it's, it's causing someone emotional harm online through digital channels by doing this this deep faking thing. So we're, we're actually yes. pretty, pretty well placed. The question is, how do you actually find out who did it? And how do you lock that down? How do you how do you find the culprit? That's really easy. You steal the you steal the <laughs> password of their LinkedIn account. Oh, that's and, true. And and that turns out to be their pornography right. password as well because we we, we we covered that earlier in the show. Hey, um, this is this is this next yarn is really interesting because it's about reputation, it's about social standing, it's about social media, it's about the internet, and it's about the real world consequences of all of those things. And it's in China. Tell us what's going on. So um, China announced some time ago that they were going to be looking at how to rank people socially. Um, there's four tenets of it, and um, one of them is... Is, is this all, all people in China? You could Essentially. Be, you, could be, you could be number... Well, we know who number one's like. <laughs> like number one spot is not contestable, but the, the other 1.4 billion are up for grabs. Well, not ranking so much in a one to a billion, but more uh, a score out of, let's just say, five. So looking at how you rank uh, in terms of your sociability and, and how good you are. Um, but now that that's having increased flow-on effects for your financial um benefit. So uh, essentially we've got Tencent and Alibaba who are two of the big players in the Chinese uh, social market. They have spins attached to their social networks so you can purchase and sell um, through those social platforms and they have internal ranking systems for you know whether you're a debtor or not. Which, which is a bit like you know um, trade me. Trade me, ha- trade me has a ranking system you know how many stars Uber has a ranking system but this is more serious right? Well the government wants to the government in China wants to formalise that and actually make it it's set in stone that that is your rank and uh, and so they've been working on this for a wee while now uh, and the big banks uh, are saying hang on we want a slice of this action and they're actually trying to prevent Tencent and Alibaba and other players um, you know making moves in that space so Clash of the Titans going to happen there. So what, what sort of stuff could happen so if I'm a, I'm a trolley old troll my ranking might go down and I might pay more interest on my credit card or is it just being too crude? Well who knows really um, I know that you're not a watcher of Black Mirror but for those um, listeners who potentially have there is an episode that it's actually dedicated to this and your social ranking um, can affect your ability to um, uh, rent places um, that are of standard. We can already see elements of it in society with people uh, who have large social standings getting entrance to parties or getting freebies and things like that. So this is kind of the next step. E- extending it out across mm-hmm. everything. Because the, the other the other Netflix show that this reminds me of is oh I, and I hate it. I hate it. Don't don't go and watch it just to see if I'm right. Um, the Good Place. Have you watched The Good Place? I love The Good Place. I hate The Good Place. Oh. Well, we could just spend the rest we of the could. show arguing this, uh, where you know, your, your good deeds on earth depend, uh, determine whether you go to the good place or the bad place, which has been the way well before social media. So I guess our take-home advice, Kate, from the entire show is be good, do nice things, be good to one, each other, nice, to one another. That's a nice that way is, to end the show. That is a nice way to end the show. Hey, thank you so much, Simon McKenzie from Vector. Kate Owen, welcome back. Saskia, first time in the booth, lovely job. Stay tuned for Graham Hill and the Weekend Variety Wireless 